coming up. Ten years down the line, the Tories are now claiming that it was their idea. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, they've got an attack on other parts of the LGBT community. Uh, they're trying to divide us. I, I just think it's it's so hypocritical. Again, a non-gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Again, a non-gay. I am James Barr. I am gay. Yes, I am Dan Hudson. I am not gay, non-gay. We've been doing this show a fair while, but amazingly, we've never had an MP on the show. I think there's probably a reason for that. And what, what is <laughs> well, that? I don't know, but we'll find out. Today, we are delighted to welcome Leila Moran onto the show. Um, she is the first British Palestinian MP and the Lib Dem spokesperson for foreign affairs and international development and the MP for Oxford West and Abingdon. And she's the first pansexual MP. Yay! Yes. Yay. And the first MP on your podcast. Yes. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for inviting Good me. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I think a lot of them are scared to speak actually if i'm honest have you invited others and they said no? oh of course yeah oh, no they, of- they often say yes and then don't turn up i'm not sure why do you think that is no idea i was excited there was there was no scared about it welcome to a gay and a non-gay I know you talk about this all the time, so apologies. But can we talk about when you came out Mm. as a pansexual? I should say it's a horrible story in that I was forced to come out. Wow. I had been all through my childhood or whatever. I had no inkling at all of my queerness, frankly. I hadn't really had crushes on women growing up. I had boyfriends only. And then I met this most amazing woman. So I'm going through all of that internally And a lot of people who have been through similar things and and having their sort of awakening, as it was, will recognise some of those emotions. But then rumours start circulating in Westminster that Leila Moran's dating a woman. (gasps) The Mail on Sunday start to suggest that they they want to do something. They tell us that it might appear in one of their sort of gossip columns, which we were like, why? Why is this a story? Go away. And then it got to the point where I got a text one day basically saying we hear that you're going out with this person we also think you might one day run for leader of the Lib Dems so that's their like hook that's their public interest and they said we're going to run a story do you want to comment and I called them and I was like listen my grandmother does not know this would be hugely shocking to her you shouldn't run this I tried to stop them but if you're going to run this can you at least give me a week so I can like prepare the ground So I kind of did. But then I was like, no, you don't get to tell my story. I'm going to tell my story. So I rang a bunch of different journalists up, The Guardian. And in fact, the the mail, interestingly, during the week was at that time run by a different editor. And there was a journalist who I trusted. And so I did an interview with them. I did an interview with The Guardian. And Pink News were just amazing and super supportive. And I was like, if I'm going to be outed, I'm going to tell my story my way. So it then became this like lovely moment where I was talking about my relationship, my love, my sexuality, and it became this positive thing where I then got emails from young people in particular saying, thank you for you know, saying who you are. It made my coming out to my parents easier. And I was able to point to you and go, well, you know, she's done it. And so by the way, I am too. And it became a positive thing. But it was really horrible and traumatic and I wish it never had to happen. And I think what it says is that there is still a, you know, that homophobia exists and the fact that it's in any way salacious and in any way interesting at all is why we need to keep fighting for LGBT rights, right? It just shouldn't be interesting. It shouldn't be a thing. It was a thing and it was horrible and I I wish it hadn't happened. 
but I'm pleased that some of the outcomes are positive and it means that you guys wanted to talk to me. So that's a great thing. <laughs> I remember when you did the Pink News article and you said that Westminster was, was a backwards place or worse to that effect. What exactly are you getting at? So the Westminster bubble is not just about how MPs react. The, the reaction of MPs was actually one of borderline ambivalence. You know, they kind of just ignored it. But that happens a lot in Westminster. If, if something personal comes out about an MP, most MPs just take one massive step back and <laughs> until they work out if they want to be associated with it or if it's going to contaminate them in some way. So I didn't really... It's not really working you know that well I mean? for them, is it? Oh, well, quite. <laughs> so, I, so actually, I mean, my party and the other MPs I know, the ones who are friends were supportive. Of course they were. And the ones who weren't just didn't really say anything. But it was more that the Westminster bubble itself also includes these you know, gossip columnists, journalists, people who are looking out to get you. Anything that is seen as any kind of perception of weakness, they will then jump on. And any difference in Westminster is generally perceived as as weakness. So that's what I meant by a backwards place. You know, in another work environment, your work colleagues wouldn't out you like that, mm. you know. No. So, but that is essentially what happened. And that's, I think, what I mean by a backwards place. It's because I chose the word pansexual, and the reason I chose that was just because in that week, you know, I've just given you a flavor of how and your head spins like the world stops. Yeah. So I'm literally Googling. So what am I? So I was, so, I was slowly but surely. I was like, I've never heard of me. I've never heard of someone who spent their whole life genuinely thinking they were just straight. And you know, I've got a gay brother and a gay sister. Like this is this is open in my family. There was no reason for me to be in any way scared of, of being something else. But what is that? That said, I sometimes wish, had I just said bye, maybe it, maybe it would have been way less interesting. But I don't really care. I, don't, I just think the labels are the labels. My partner Rosie and I were super happy. We're in love. We're still together, notwithstanding all of this rubbish. It just makes me think, you know, if, if people are still that interested, that says more about them. You know, it, we are so boring as a couple. Uh, you know, Netflix and chill is basically what we do all the time. <laughs> Hold yeah. on, you do you know, mean the actual meaning of Netflix The actual meaning is that we watch Netflix mm. and we then chill out. Like, <laughs> that's literally all we do. And, you know, we're super, super boring. And yet just because we happen to be two women and I happen to be an MP, that became interesting. That's not interesting. We had Peter Tatchell on our show. Yeah. Uh, and he talked about how he'd outed secretly gay bishops in the 80s that were being homophobic. Do you think there's people in Parliament that are homophobic who are secretly having gay queer affairs on the side like is that going on is it that kind of place still? not that i'm aware of at all there is definitely a bunch of mps who themselves are queer and fight for lgbt rights i mean we tend to sort of find each other in the debates where we're discussing it so it could be on conversion therapy or it could be on trans rights in particular so these sorts of debates are coming up and we will beeline so that we can at least be seen together and show in, in shows of solidarity. But equally, there are queer MPs on the other side of those debates mm. too. And so I, I think now if you are gay or lesbian and an MP, that's much less of a big deal than it was 20 years ago. Whether or not there are some closeted people who through their own internal issues internalize it and it comes out as bile and hate we you know <laughs> that's for them but i'm not aware of people who you know are secretly gay and everyone knows it but actually are but i think they'd be outed pretty quickly by the press and actually you're right the modern day version of that is people being out and still fighting against their own community and having that internalized homophobia internalized hatred towards like trans people a gay and a non-gay uh, 60 seconds ago westminster and a dramatic result in the vote on gay marriage. The eyes to the right, 400. 
The nose to the left, 175. So the eyes have it. The eyes have it. We're approaching 10 years of equal marriage. In your words, David Cameron, who was the PM at the time, did not block that mm -hmm. and allowed that to happen. But really, it's the Liberal Democrats we have to thank. Absolutely. At the time, the public opinion on equal marriage was not where it is now. It was a debate that felt a bit niche. We had civil partnerships. So the question that was floating around was, well, you've got civil partnerships. Why do you want marriage? And in fact, there were couples who were straight who wanted civil partnerships. And there was, a, in the other direction, people who wanted that kind of equality. And Lynn Featherstone, who at the time was Equality's minister in the Home Office, brought the idea. It wasn't in either party's manifesto, interestingly. But she was like, I see a campaign here. I think now is the time. She brought it initially to Theresa May, who actually backed it pretty quickly. It then became a priority for Nick Clegg when he was negotiating with David Cameron. David Cameron did not back that immediately. And this is what made me so upset about him trying to now appropriate that history. That mm. was not where he was at. He wasn't against it personally. He was worried that there was a section of his vote that would then go against it and that there were sections of his party that wouldn't accept it, which that's, is just politics. That's very interesting, though, because that's also his downfall. That exact same concern. Oh, some of my party want a Brexit vote. And if I don't do it, then I'll no longer be prime minister and my yep. party will be over. So he did it. And then the country's over. <laughs> but the Conservative Party as a whole, it puts the party first. If I was a Tory MP, I truly believe that the best thing for the country is to have a Tory government. Full stop. No matter what form, no matter what it does, I just simply believe that to be true. Then you put your party's unity first. And so that machination about which sections of the party, much bigger party than ours, we've got an easier job. You can literally just talk to individuals and get around them quite quickly. You can't really do that in a party of hundreds. You have to approach it in a different way. So I don't necessarily blame him for that. What I have an issue with, though, is that 10 years down the line, the Tories are now claiming that it was their idea. Spill that tea. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, they've got an attack on other parts of the LGBT community. Uh, and they're trying to divide us. I, I just think it's, it's so hypocritical. And it's not at all a reflection of what happened in history. There's a lot of parallels here with Barack Obama heading into 2012, isn't there? Because he didn't back gay marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been written out of history. Here. That's right. I mean, what Lynn did was, was truly extraordinary because there was no global consensus that this was the obvious next move. Yeah, there was yeah. no other big country that had already done it. This was huge. And we did it. And literally, the sun came up the next morning... The sky didn't fall in. All the gays weren't suddenly in the street dancing with no clothes on. You know, it's all these all these doomsday predictions. And she got death threats trying to do that. And the polling changed overnight. Suddenly people were like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Good yeah. for them. And is that your prediction on what? What might happen next for LGBT people in this country and, and with trans rights? Do you think it will sort itself out? Do you think we'll be okay? I choose to believe we will be okay because I'm an optimist. And frankly, if I wasn't an optimist, I'd be a really bad politician because I'd never done the job in the first place. So I do believe in the decency of humanity. I believe that when we can get the debate to a place that is more about human to human and less about scaremongering and disinformation and misinformation. I believe that the British public will help us get there. What I can't see right now is, is the path. <laughs> and, and that is perhaps my slightly more pessimistic sense. I do think we're going backwards. You do look at America and you think to yourself, you know, America's quite often five, 10 years ahead of us in some of its more divisive politics. It's going in the wrong direction and you just have to look at what's happening over there. DeSantis's rules and don't say gay and all that. 
and it is harking back to a yesteryear that frankly doesn't exist anymore. If you look at history, whenever those movements have happened, they've happened at every single point, you know, and I just said they happened during the fight for equal marriage. They happened before at every point where the LGBT community has tried to push forward. There have been dissenting voices trying to stop it. And eventually progress always wins. It's interesting hearing about Theresa May being on board. I didn't expect that. I think just because I know her previous voting record, but Obviously, Theresa turned that around a lot as well when she was prime minister and promised a ban on gay conversion therapy. I mean, we are so far from that right now. What do you think of the latest version of this so-called ban on so-called gay conversion therapy? (laughs) The whole debate, I mean, it's all got to be seen in its context. What we have is a floundering Conservative Party. The only thing that matters to the Conservative Party is that the Conservative Party keeps its power. So what are they trying to do? They've worked out that in order to energise their base, to energise the ultra-right that support them, the best thing that they can do is divide and rule. Throw in as much right-wing populism into the debate as possible. That's going to get people annoyed. That's going to get people talking. And that's what's going to energise their vote to come out for them. Because let's face it, they've messed everything else up. There's nothing left. And so we're now in a situation where they are just throwing stuff out that is deeply, deeply divisive and really, really negative for not just, I would say, trans people, but the whole of the LGBT community. And in fact, all minorities everywhere. Democracy is not majority rule. True democracy is the protection of minority rights at the same time. We now have a completely populist Tory party that doesn't give a hoot for minority rights. What I don't understand is how people can't see the slippery slope that we are on. So whether it's this, whether it's essentially the new Section 28, don't talk about trans stuff in schools. We're expecting schools guidance to come out that basically says something like that. Overriding parental support. So if, say, a parent said that it would be okay for a child to change their pronouns, the school couldn't do it. And that's one of the things that's been trailed. This doesn't make common sense anymore. And why are they doing it? Because they run out of ideas and it's really really dangerous and we're also seeing some of the american politics leach into british politics you know that divisive politics of you know you are either one thing or the other you know you are either pro equal rights or you are wanting to annihilate everyone you know that that's just not where most people in the country are most people are reasonable they have questions they want those questions answered they want to have a debate They want to be respectful and they understand the sensitivities. And the public are way more understanding than the tone of the political debate would ever have you imagine. Do you think that might be why Keir Starmer is pretty quiet on LGBTQ plus rights and is avoiding the conversation? Does he not want to get dragged down into that populist debate? A little bit. Yeah, I think so. It's like if someone's doing something naughty, you just don't want to engage. You know, the Tory party are doing this for a political reason, as I've just described. And all of us feel that way. So it's not that you shouldn't be brave to talk about the issues, but it's true that you should be wary. If that's an issue they want to talk about, what you have to question, why is it that they're bringing it up? And do you want to play their games on their terms? And you shouldn't. That doesn't mean that you should abandon your values in any way. On the topic of trans issues, it's kind of gone under the radar that there's this Tory MP who's trans right that wasn't really like a big news story i don't know why that is it was in westminster it was right in, yeah i remember in, and i uh, so she came to the bar and actually I, I don't know if she's using she as a pro yeah at um, the time 
they weren't. So I'm just going to say they. They came to the bar and, you know, I was like, can I buy you a drink? I think what you've done is like super brave and well done you. And in the last debate that we had on trans rights, they were there. And I really hoped that when they came out, that a lot of their party would just, again, pause for thought. You know, there's someone on their side going through all of this and was outed while in the job and is difficult, you know. Any kind of expose of your personal life, even in normal life, is difficult against your will quite often. And then if it then gets blown up and people are talking about it, and that's really, really tough. So I, I hoped that it would inject compassion. And did it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I can see. I mean, that the tone and timbre of the speeches that were being given by some of the MPs who are on the other side of the debate just completely ignored. Well, the reaction to this debate that was happening and, the, and their reaction to hearing about people having suicidal thoughts was just absolutely disgusting. I was, I was really, really shocked by that. I was criticised for saying that, you know, as a result of this debate, there are people out there who are going to be scared that we're talking about it. Because what always happens is that Parliament has a debate or there's something happens in the news and the trans community, someone gets a bit more verbal abuse or, you know, something happens. And I think we just need to be mindful of that. I was accused of shutting down the debate. What I said was, let's just be careful with our words and let's remember that what we are doing has consequences now. This isn't some sort of, you know, esoterical philosophical debate. These are real people. We need to put them at the centre of the debate. And I'm confident that with enough compassion and love, which is a word that politicians don't say enough of, yeah. if, if you approach this with love, we will find a way through this debate. Thank you so much for coming in, Leila. My absolute pleasure, guys. Oh, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support Gay and a Non-Gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate. <laughs>